0: chapters fifty one and fifty two of taken at the flood by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain fifty one random shots the receipt of that telegram was a blow that struck home sylvia had brought her lover to her feet as she firmly believed and behold at the moment when she felt most certain of his allegiance he had been able to leave her for an indefinite period was this the love that had subjugated will and honour last night in the moonlit churchyard lady Perriam dragged her steps slowly back to the house what a weary length of monotonous turf she had to tread with leaden lingering feet she had come this way so gaily a little while ago looking down the long vista for the figure she expected to see she had felt so utterly sure of his coming and instead of that beloved presence that strong hand clasping hers there was nothing but the crumpled telegram in her feverish palm i suppose mrs carter will be glad of this she said to herself bitterly remembering the reproachful look that had chidden her wild talk of happiness she would like to see me in sackcloth and ashes or branded on the forehead with a red-hot iron thought sylvia brooding upon her mother's reproaches of last night she would consider that for my good no harder judge than your penitent sinner the afternoon sun beat down upon her head as she crossed the broad gravelled expanse before the hall door and in this open sunlight she found herself face to face with that person whom of all others she dreaded for no definite reason perhaps but with an instinctive fear which reason could not dispel shadrach Bane met her in front of the hall door whip in hand the dust of a long ride upon his stout country squirish boots he had come to the place by the servant's entrance from a round of inspection on the home farm they told me you were out lady periam he said as he shook hands with sylvia but i could hardly believe it on such a blazing day knowing your predilection for closed venetians and a cool room one must take a walk now and then answered sylvia coolly she made no secret of her indifference to any suggestion of mr Baines, but the agent was not to be put down by those small tokens of disdain he went on suggesting all the same, and would not see or appear to see, that his interest in her welfare was unappreciated and unwelcome. "'Wouldn't it be wiser to choose the cool of the evening for your walk?' asked Mr. Bane. "'If you were my doctor, Mr. Bain, I dare say I should ask for your advice on that point,' retorted Sylvia. "'But as you are not my medical adviser, I prefer to consult my own inclination.' "'If I were a doctor,' repeated Mr. Bane with a curious little laugh, that's a singular way of putting it lady Perriam. if i were a doctor i might do a great many things that i don't do now if i were a doctor i should want to see a little more than i do see of that poor half-cracked mr periam if i were a doctor i might want to know a little more than i do now of the manner of sir aubrey's death that blanching cheek which had been flushed by heat and anger a moment ago told him that his shot had struck the mark how white and tired you look lady periam i am sure that walk was a mistake come into the saloon and sit down for a little before you go upstairs to your own rooms they were in front of the saloon the sashes of the long windows were raised and the butterflies floated in now and then upon the summer air and cooled themselves in the stately gloom of that disused apartment i hate that room said sylvia looking towards the open window with a shudder because sir aubrey's paralytic stroke happened there Yes i can fancy the association must be painful to one so truly attached to him as you were well we won't go into the saloon you seem to like the open air better we'll go to the terrace i want half an hour's talk with you what can you have to say to me i thought we settled all business matters yesterday this is not exactly business nothing connected with the estate that is to say lady periam walked by the steward's side as far as the terrace reluctantly but with that feeling of helplessness which she always experienced in mr bain's presence she hated him she feared him and she always ended by submitting to his will that will which had ruled sir aubrey in days gone by which had awed the tenants into closest adherence to quarter-days and which had exercised itself in the vestry of monkhampton until it had made mr bain a power in the sleepy old country town She sank down with a tired air upon a seat on the terrace, a broad marble seat in an angle of the marble balustrade. An ancient orange tree in a sculptured vase crowned the angle and screened this corner. This is better than the saloon, isn't it, Lady Perriam? asked Mr. Bain as he seated himself by her side. It will do very well, she answered coldly. No tinge of color had come back to her marble pale cheeks. There was a dogged look in her face, the lips set tightly. The eyes looking straight before her every feature accentuated by that intense expression she looked like a woman who had nerved herself to face some fatal crisis in her life what do you want to say to me she asked not looking at mr bain but always straight before her what a different interview this was from the one she had expected she had hoped to watch the sultry close of that afternoon with edmund stanton by her side to have planned the future with him to have shown him the splendours of her house hers for the twenty long years to have told him of her wealth and that it should be his to spend as he pleased her smaller nature had never imagined mr standon's probable repugnance to wealth so won i want to talk to you about your own interests your own reputation lady periam said the agent after a thoughtful pause i need hardly remind you that the world is censorious or that a woman in your position is an easy mark for slander what can any one find to say against me? Is not my life secluded enough to preclude the possibility of slander? That is just the question. Your life is too secluded to satisfy the neighbourhood. You bury yourself alive in Perriam Place, and the malicious, who are always on the lookout for sinister motives, begin to ask if you have any secret to hide that you keep so close within yonder walls. From one speculation they have passed to another as a man of business i get to hear these things i may outstep my functions as your business adviser your son's guardian in broaching this subject to you but right or wrong i consider it my duty to put you in possession of the truth pray go on sir what is your monkhampton gossip's complaint against me it is not a complaint it is no positive statement your enemies that is to say the grocers you don't deal with The butcher whose rival supplies your household can allege nothing against you. But people begin to wonder and speculate about the close restraint in which you keep Mr. Perriam. If he is mad, they say, he ought to be put into a madhouse. If he is sane, he ought to be allowed more liberty. Lady Perriam's eyes, so long fixed on vacancy, shifted uneasily and stole a look at the steward's face. The countenance of the man of business indicated little of the mind behind it the face of a dutch clock could hardly have been less expressive he has as much liberty as he cares to have answered sylvia it is his fancy to lead that dull muddling life pottering about among his books amusing himself in his own way and troubling no one seeing no one but the servant who waits on him he lives now exactly as he has lived for the last ten years not exactly he used to walk in the kitchen garden daily fair weather or foul he never does that now he is weaker than he used to be the shock of his brother's death has shaken him then he ought to have medical advice if he were to die suddenly some day like his brother what would the world say might not the malicious insinuate that both deaths were indirectly your work mr Bane? don't look at me so indignantly lady periam i am not going to slander you i am not going to doubt your kindness or your justice If ever you should need a champion, you'll find me very ready to defy the world in your defence. I only wish to protect you from the consequences of your own indiscretion. But Monkhampton people have taken it into their heads that Mordred Pariam is kept under undue restraint, deprived of natural liberty, and that this seclusion and restraint are your work. More than this, they go so far as to hint that you must have some strong reason for keeping your brother-in-law out of sight, that he has knowledge of some secret of yours. Pray don't be angry with me. I am only repeating vulgar gossip. How deadly white the face was now, a sicklier hue than the marble of the balustrade against which Lady Periam leaned. When she spoke with evident effort, there was a dull muffled sound in her tones. What does it matter to me how these stupid country people slander me? She asked. If I went to London and spent money and enjoyed my life as many women do in my position, with a faint laugh, they would call me heartless because i live in seclusion they try to imagine some secret motive for my quiet life mr perriam leads the life that pleases him why should i drag his harmless eccentricities before the eyes of the world even if he is a little wrong in his head he does no mischief and mrs carter is quite capable of taking care of him are you aware lady That it is illegal to keep a lunatic in a private dwelling house, or in any house not especially licensed for the accommodation of lunatics. Who said he was a lunatic? You did just this minute. I said he was a little wrong in his head, which in plain English means that he is mad. Come now, Lady Periam. I'll put this matter as simply as I can. If he is sane, you have no right to deprive him of liberty. If he is mad, you have no right to keep him in that house i do not deprive him of liberty don't you would you object to my hearing him acknowledge as much with his own lips will you allow me to ask him the plain question is he satisfied with his mode of life if he answers that question in the affirmative i will answer for you to all monkhampton no one shall dare to slander you if once i am in a position to give them the lie sylvia had wiped her pale brow with a cambric handkerchief a little square of thinnest tissue she held it now in her clenched hands held it twisted into a rag by the writhing of those restless hands mordred objects to see any one she said he has shrunk from every one since his brother's death he is perfectly happy in his own way why cannot you let him alone the world will not consent to his being let alone lady Periam. if you refuse my advice in this matter if you won't let me help you as i can help you other people will step in one of the magistrates will come here and examine into the state of the case one of the magistrates would they dare to come here and question me cannot i do as i like in my own house unhappily no the law has a knack of looking inside people's houses come lady parium be reasonable i am here for your own good for your own safety let me see mr parium and judge for myself as to his condition you shall not see him cried sylvia rising suddenly and confronting him, still marble pale, but with a desperate look in her face which meant defiance. You refuse me so slight a favour? You shall not see him. No one shall see him unless I choose or until I choose. Let the magistrates come here. I will show them that I can be mistress in my own house. What reason can you have for denying me access to your brother-in-law? I have no reason, but i will not accept dictation from any one least of all from you you have long tried to be master in this house i will show you that it is not so easy to be my master as you may have thought she sank down upon the bench again exhausted by that burst of passion one little spot of crimson gleamed in the white cheeks and the restless hands were still working nervously lady perriam you are wrong when you say i have wished to be your master said the steward bending over her and speaking in an altered voice a softer tone than was common to shadrach Bane's lips yet with the old grave earnestness of the business man from the first hour i saw you i have been your slave nay you need fear no torrent of passionate words from me i am not first in the language of passion i only know that i love you i will not say that i loved you from that first hour when you came into my office brighter and lovelier to look upon than anything i had ever seen in a dream but from that hour i was your devoted servant considered your interests before all others pleaded your cause with the husband who would have stinted your dower watched over your welfare so far as it was in my power to protect and benefit you you have always been very good to me replied sylvia looking up at him with a quick questioning glance as if to gauge the depth of his meaning In those days, at least, my devotion must have been disinterested, continued the steward. What had I to hope for? You had a husband, I a wife. What two people could be farther apart than you and I? I served you because I admired and respected you, and if even at that time some warmer feeling lurked in my heart, I had never confessed so much to myself. But now the day has come when I dare speak plainly. You stand quite alone in the world, Lady Perriam a world not too kind to defenceless youth and beauty i am your equal in education before your marriage with sir aubrey i was more than your equal in social status i am too well off to be open to the charge of mercenary motives nothing remains but the disparity of our years i dare to hope that the strength of my devotion is enough to weigh against that sylvia i love you the one hope of my life is to be your husband Lady Perriam gave no indication of astonishment, audacious as this address may have seemed to her. She sat motionless, looking downward. The agitation of a few minutes ago had passed away and left her very calm. Will you give me some kind of answer, Lady Perriam? Can you expect me to answer such a startling question very quickly? Give me time to think, and I will answer you. My confession has not shocked you very much. Why should it shock me? you are my equal as you say and if you are twenty years older than i you may naturally consider that a trifling objection since i married a man who was thirty years my senior let me have time to think mr Bain. i shall not press you for a speedy answer if you will only give me permission to hope i should not refuse that if i were better convinced of your sincerity you say you are my friend devoted to me yet you come here and worry me about poor mr Periam i only repeat slander which you ought to hear in order that you may protect yourself against people's malice and you are really my friend i am more than your friend i am your slave shall i test your fidelity yes put me to any test help me to get rid of all difficulties about mr Perriam. i begin to think that you or the monkhampton gossips are right he ought to be placed under restraint his presence here is a source of anxiety to me. If his state does not improve very soon, I shall send for a mad doctor and get him removed to an asylum. Whenever you make up your mind to that step, you may command my services. Do you know of any asylum where he could be safely cared for, or of any doctor who would take charge of him? Why not consult Mr. Stimson on that point? I have no opinion of Mr. Stimson's discretion. I would rather consult a stranger. Some one unconnected with Monkhampton. I know of a man in London who might perhaps serve your purpose, said Mr. Bain after some moments' thought, and enable you to get rid of the difficulty quietly. But I should like to see Mr. Perriam and judge for myself before I advise you further. After all, there may be nothing amiss but a little harmless eccentricity, which would hardly justify us in consigning him to a madhouse. There is more than eccentricity. At times he is subject to delusions what thinks himself the pope or the chancellor of the exchequer i suppose not exactly but he has strange fancies harmless enough yet sufficient to prove him insane you shall see him in a few days when he is at his best and judge for yourself thanks said the steward that looks like confidence and now tell me lady periam may i hope yes answered sylvia giving him her hand it would be hard to deny you hope she smiled and mr bane thought that the airy scaffolding he had put together one day in his office when first he heard of sir aubrey's intended marriage was in a fair way to become a substantial building he had been prepared for indignant rejection he had some vague sense of power over sir aubrey's widow but he had thought it quite possible that she might defy him his hints and veiled threats were but so much groping in the dark the intensity of her agitation had taken him by surprise and he had gone further than he had intended ventured to reveal his ultimate hope he escorted her back to the house went with her to the nursery where the infant baronet expressed the strongest objection to mr and hid his face in his nurse's breast turning now and then to steal an angry look at the custodian allotted to him by the court of chancery we shall be better friends by and by said mr bain quietly He dined with Lady Periam that evening at her invitation, and though there was nothing of the accepted lover in his manner, he began to think the future was secure, and that in less than a year he might sit at that board as master. He did not stop long after dinner, not wishing to make his presence an infliction. But before he went away Lady Periam asked him the name of the London doctor he had mentioned. Mr Ledlam of Yeager Street Bloomsbury, answered Mr Bane. Is he a celebrated man? not at all but i don't think you want a famous doctor to take care of mr perriam you want a man who will hold his tongue isn't that it i don't want mr perriam's affliction to be talked about of course not joseph Ledlam is the very man his chief practice is in bloomsbury but he has a house on the great northern line a few miles from hatfield where he receives two or three patients a retired spot quite remote from observation a highly respectable man, poor, but clever. Are you sure that Mr. Perriam will be well treated in this gentleman's care? As sure as I could possibly feel about his treatment, put him where you may. You might put him in the charge of a more distinguished doctor than Ledlam, but in a larger and grander establishment, he would be much more at the mercy of nurses and underlings than with such a man as Ledlam, who receives a limited number of patients and has them under his own eye, as it were but he must be away a great part of his time attending to his bloomberry practice suggested lady periam i don't know how he manages about that he may have a partner is he a friend of yours hardly a friend but an old acquaintance he belongs to this part of the country and he and i went to school together fifteen years ago he tried to get a practice in monkhampton but the old established doctors were too much for him and he speedily collapsed he had not long married poor fellow and had a hungry-looking wife and one sickly child he gave up monkhampton as a bad job and went up to london to try his luck there i've seen him occasionally when i've been in town for a few days and we've had a quiet evening together i know the man is clever and i think mr Baines said this with curious deliberation he is just the kind of man to suit your purpose lady Perriam. a man who will not talk about his patient come what may i shall not forget your recommendation said sylvia with her easiest manner all traces of agitation had vanished long ere this and if poor mr perriam should get much worse which i trust will not happen i'll send for mr Ledlam. this conversation occurred after mr bain's horse had been ordered he had no further excuse for lingering but took his leave with a subdued tenderness too unobtrusive to offend yet enough to remind lady perriam that he had asked her to be his wife and that he expected an answer. Scarcely had the door closed behind the departing agent when Sylvia looked at her watch and then rang the bell sharply. Just nine. I wonder if it is too late to telegraph, she said to herself. She went to a side table where there were writing materials and wrote the following telegram Lady Perriam, Perriam Place, near Monkhampton, to Joseph Ledlam, Yeager Street, Bloomsbury. Please come immediately to consult upon an important case fee no consideration loss of time dangerous the bell had been answered before her message was written brief as it was a footman stood at ease awaiting her orders let this message be taken at once to monkhampton railway station said lady pariam giving him the paper in a sealed envelope send one of the grooms on a fast horse yes my lady fifty two the friend of the mentally afflicted it was not often that Mr. Ledlam of Yeager Street was informed that the amount of his fee was no consideration. To the great Doctor Crow, such telegrams as Lady Perriams were common enough. At the magic name of Crow, people became as lavish of gold as if they had been so many Kilman's eggs. But the patients who Mr. Ledlam attended were wont to consider their fees very closely indeed so scrupulously considerate were they of this question that sometimes they changed their minds about it altogether and did not pay him anything at all at first mr Ledlam was inclined to look suspiciously at lady Perriam's telegram doubtful whether it were not a hoax but he knew enough of the neighbourhood of monkhampton to know that there really was a seat called perriam place within half a dozen miles of that market-town and this fact decided him he would hazard a second-class return ticket to monkhampton in quest of the unlimited fee so liberally offered i might charge as much as ten pounds and deducting two for my ticket that would give me eight for my day's work besides future contingencies mused mr ledlam but what on earth could induce lady parium to send for me I didn't do so well while I was in Monkhampton that people should hunt me up fifteen years after I turned my back upon that God-forsaken hole! Mister Ledlam had bachelor quarters in Yeager Street-a sofa bedstead in the parlour behind the surgery, where he bivouacked now and then when it was his fancy to spend the night in London, rather than return to the rustic shades of his lodge near Hatfield; Thus it happened that Lady Perriam's message reached Mr. Ledlam while he was lounging over an unpretending breakfast of Epps cocoa and a toasted bloater prepared by his own hands. He consulted a dog's ear at Bradshaw. Yes, there was time to catch the 945 down train from Paddington. He could be at Monkhampton by three o'clock that afternoon. In the simple phraseology of the neighborhood, Mr. Ledlam cleaned himself, a brief operation, put on his best suit of professional black took up his least shiny hat and his umbrella good to look at while neatly rolled up but not to be rashly opened and set forth he was fain to indulge in the luxury of a hansom cab paid the driver his minimum fare placidly endured the threat of a summons and reached the platform ticket in hand just as the train was going to move as near as a toucher muttered mr Ledlam, breathing hard after the rapidity of his proceedings he threw himself back into a corner of the carriage, bought a daily telegraph as the train was leaving the station, and abandoned himself to an hour's quiet enjoyment between London and Swindon. I wonder whether the advertisements at the bottom of that telegram, he thought presently, not able to concentrate his attention on the leaders in the popular journal, so puzzled was he by that inexplicable message. He turned to the advertisement sheet, where he was accustomed now and then to insert his own small requirements of course he was too wide-awake a man to put forth his desire crudely among the wanteds he insinuated himself into public attention as a benefactor to his species one who from pure benevolence was ready to relieve others of their burdens a friend of the mentally afflicted who is also an experienced medical practitioner is willing to admit a patient into the sacred circle of a happy english home locality retired and rural for terms etc Apply to XY, post office, Yeager Street, Bloomsbury. If the telegram were the result of this advertisement, it ought naturally to have been sent to the post office. Though perhaps no one would be so demented as to telegraph to a post office. No, decided Mr Ledlam. The advertisement can have nothing to do with it. Clearly Lady Periam must have heard of me at half past 3 o'clock that afternoon mr ledlam was being driven up the long avenue at perryam in a closed fly he had chosen a closed fly despite the sultry heat of the day because it looked more professional a cab and a fly in the same day mr ledlam winced as he looked into his empty purse and thought what the expedition had cost him if the telegram should prove a hoax after all the grandeur of the long avenue the wide spreading park the palatial house struck awe to joseph Ledlam's soul it seemed hardly possible that the inhabitants of yonder pile could have sent for him when london teemed with famous doctors it must be some wretched mistake he said to himself and i shall be all my expenses out of pocket no if they've made a blunder in sending for me i'll make them pay my travelling expenses he was at the door by this time, and the flyman had rung a loud pealing bell and let down the steps. Now or never, thought Mr. Ledlam, and put on a bold front as the hall door was opened by the most respectable of footmen. Is Lady Perriam at home? Yes, sir. Please take her my card. Step this way, if you please, sir. You are expected answered the footman and mr Ledlam found himself ushered up a wider staircase than he had ever ascended in a private dwelling along a dimly lighted corridor and then into a room whose brightness and perfume the scent of stephanotis and lilies palma violets gloire de dijon roses all manner of choicest blossoms almost bewildered his unaccustomed senses a lady was seated in a low chair by the open window shaded from the sun by a half-closed venetian shutter a lady who struck him as more beautiful than any woman he had ever seen she received him with a somewhat haughty inclination of the head pointed to a distant chair and began at once in a business-like manner i have sent for you mr Ledlam, because i have been informed that you are a person upon whose discretion i can safely rely that is quite true madam may i ask who recommended me to your notice I had rather not tell you that. Be satisfied with the knowledge that you have been recommended. It is my misfortune to have a near relative, by marriage, who is mentally afflicted. I have kept him under my own roof as long as I could safely do so. But I find I can keep him no longer without becoming subject to the remarks of the neighbourhood. It is my earnest wish, therefore, to remove him to some safe and comfortable home, where he will be well cared for, and made as happy as it is possible for him to be in his present condition of mind. I am in a position to offer you just such a home, Lady Perriam, answered Mr Ledlam, carefully suppressing all signs of eagerness, and adopting that dispassionate tone which bespeaks ample means and an independent mind. I have a pleasant country house, the arbour, at Hankers Heath, near Hatfield. Where I am in the habit of receiving a limited number of patients, strictly limited, for whenever their health allows of that privilege, they join our family circle, and we gather round the domestic hearth as a cheerful and united household. At other times, when their state is more critical, they of course remain in the retirement of their private apartments. My house is not large, it does not boast of splendour, but comfort is studied in every detail, and we are eminently rural i have endeavoured to indicate that by the name of our retreat the arbour a sound suggestive of agreeable images how many patients have you in your house at present asked lady well just at present only one a youth of excellent family but weak intellect he is like a son of the household follows our children about the garden like a pet dog this was true in a restricted sense The youth in question having been forced to devote some part of his leisure to wheeling Mr. Ledlam's youngest hope in a perambulator. May I see Mr. our patient, Lady periam asked the doctor blandly. Presently. He has been very troublesome lately, and although it was my earnest wish to keep him in this house, where he has the care of an excellent nurse, I begin to fear that it might be dangerous to do so much longer. My dear madam, believe me, it is always dangerous however good your nurse however excellent your arrangements there is no safety only under the experienced eye of a medical man can there be security lunacy is beyond measure treacherous uncertain mischief may arise at any moment i do not speak in my own interests pray believe that i am above all sordid considerations lady Periam did not trouble herself to notice mr Ledlam's vindication of his honour she looked at him keenly with those darkly brilliant eyes whose splendour carking care could not dim he looked a man who would do anything for greed a hungry-looking man with wide thin lips dog-teeth hollow cheeks large grey eyes with sandy lashes and eyebrows an unprosperous man clad in well-worn black a man who would be a ready tool but a dangerous ally after all it is only a question of self-interest reflected lady periam if i pay him well enough he is not likely to betray me not even if he held my fate in his hand he might become rapacious and exacting but that would be the worst i am set round with dangers and must face that hazard permit me to inquire if the patient is a young person asked mr Ledlam, shrinking a little under the close scrutiny of those observant eyes he is an elderly gentleman, but although weak mentally and somewhat helpless in body, his health is good, and he is likely to live long. Mister. Ledlam looked cheered by this intelligence. Pray, what are your usual terms for board and medical attendance? Inclusive terms, asked Lady Perriam. With carriage exercise, inquired Mister. Ledlam. Do you keep a carriage? my wife has a pony phaeton which she devotes to the use of those patients whose friends desire that relaxation it is of course an extra and adds thirty pounds a year to the charge for board laundress and medical attendance i should wish my brother-in-law to have every reasonable indulgence be good enough to state your highest inclusive terms my charge for a first-class patient is two hundred and fifty pounds a year replied mr faint with the agonies of alternate hope and fear if i agree to your becoming custodian of my brother-in-law i will give you three hundred a year for his maintenance but mind i shall expect him to be made thoroughly comfortable and as happy as his afflicted condition will permit madam you may rely upon my fidelity i shall take nothing for granted i have read horrible accounts of private asylums i shall see that your patient is really treated well i am not afraid of the supervision of my patient's friends madam we are open to the piercing eye of inspection the commissioners visit us periodically mr Ledlam spoke with supreme confidence the friends of his patients had as a rule promised frequent visits to those sufferers and as a rule had studiously refrained from the performance of their promises Lady Perriam did not look to him like a person who would take much trouble about a deranged brother-in-law. End of chapters fifty one and fifty two.